pray. Lord God, you surrendered your son for us. You gave your all for us out of love. Lord, help us to surrender all we have to you in gratitude for what you have done for us and for whom you are. In Christ's name, amen. Well, thank you, uh, young people, and thank you, Jana, for sharing with us this morning. And uh, I, uh, I love Miles. It doesn't, doesn't work for me so well. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, uh, we had friends who moved across the road from us out to the country, and we kept touch with these guys, and we would travel back and forth. And uh, the road between our places, there was somebody who built a house. He started to build a house. Um, he started to get a foundation in. I remember his name to this day, you know, from the time I was a little kid. It was Yako. I didn't know his last name. There was kind of this mystique about Yako uh, because for years and years, like there's foundation and there's straw around it and then the house kind of goes up, but it's not bricked for years. And, and this just was kind of a monument to not completing a project. But I mean, it underscores a truism, and the truism is this. It's easier to start something than to finish something, right? It's easy to start something with all these enthusiasm and excitement about it. Anybody ever made a New Year's resolution? Anybody know anything about starting something but not finishing it? Like the diet, right? New Year's. <laughs> See, I have diet rules. I have many diet rules, like you can't start on a weekend and a holiday, the things that, that mess you up, but you're going to start a diet for New Year's, and the next night, you're watching TV, and you think, you know, I don't watch TV without my good friend, the bag of chips, by my side, and just one or two wouldn't hurt, or you're starting an exercise program, you, you, you've, you're going to do that, and how long does it last? Sometimes Uh, The best intentions aren't fulfilled. Or I'm taking piano lessons. And then you've got to do things like scales and arpeggios and all that kind of stuff. Now, I was was a bit of a keener when it came to music. And I I actually set my alarm for 6.30 in the morning so I could get up and play scales. It was at that point I think my family wished I would not fulfill something that... (laughs) Because up and down, up and down. But starting a course, starting a sports program, and then they have these stupid, exhausting drills, and they run you up and down the field, and that's why they didn't do it for that. But it's easier to start. Even Schubert wrote his eighth symphony in B minor. Do you know what it was called? I, I was counting on you. I was counting on you. The unfinished symphony. He never got it completed. Years later, the unfinished symphony. So most of us understand that we start something with enthusiasm, 
But it's easier to start than to finish, right? You guys started a new year in school. You got all your supplies. You got new clothes maybe even. Or you're going to university. You got a new computer. And, and you go and you're so excited to start. And then you hit like the 1st of December. When all the papers have to be in. And when, when uh, final exams are starting. And you're thinking, you know what? Eh, this, I didn't sign up for this. This is, this is too hard. Um, and you're thinking of quitting. Um, marriage. Oh, what a beautiful start. Our marriage, the ceremony, the friends, the food, everything. It was, it was great. It was beautiful. And it's, it's sometimes easy to get started and wonderful to get started. But can you go the distance? Can you make it work? Can you keep at it? Well, we've been, uh, we've been looking through the summer at a series of messages from the book of Proverbs. And uh, it's been called um, Ancient Wisdom for Successful Living. Ancient Living for Successful Living. And we've been looking at the instruction that God gives us. How to live wisely. How to live fruitfully. How to be successful in our life. Um, and, and here it is. We need God's wisdom to start well and be successful. We need God's wisdom. We need his guidance and direction. And he provides that in his word. He provides us everything that we can live skillfully and live well and live successfully. And do you know that God wants that for you? He wants you to live well. He wants your relationships to be good. He wants your, your, your inner psyche to be good. He, he wants your, your uh, health to be good. And, and he gives all kinds of things that help us to fulfill that. And we receive that instruction and we're able to discern right from wrong and better from not so good. And, and we get insight to how to live a life that God can bless we, how to set our priorities, how to establish values that guide us in this journey of life. And it's available to you. In fact, when we, when we went through the Proverbs, it's sometimes Proverbs is, uh, the, the lady wisdom is crying in the streets. Come, come to me, all you who need wisdom, come and I'll help you, I'll teach you, I'll instruct you. She's at the city gates. Come on, you, you young people, you simpletons, you people who just are naive, you people who are fools, come and I'll instruct you and I'll help you. And you'll have a blessed life and I'll make you wise. And that guidance that is given is founded upon respect and reverence for God and submission to his truth. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Solomon tells us. And God will guide you if you will receive guidance and make choices. And you won't be stubborn and, not, and unteachable and all the rest of that. And you, you need a good start with the word of God and wisdom. But the question I have for you this morning is not how you're going to start but how you're going to finish. Because we know it's easier to start something than it is to finish it. How do you finish well? And we want to consider this this morning by looking at a figure from the Bible who knew something about wisdom. In fact, he knew a whole lot about wisdom. His name was Solomon. He was the third king of Israel. He was the son of great King David. And as we look at his life, 
uh, we'll see his journey and hopefully we can learn something from him. Uh, I want you to see first his plea for wisdom. His plea for wisdom. Solomon was chosen by God. He was chosen by his father to succeed him on the throne. In, in fact, he was given every privilege that it, it involves in being royalty. Um, and before he could ascend to the throne, one of his brothers by the name of Adonijah thought he would take the throne. And so he kind of declared himself to be king, got some people to surround him, and the word got to David. Uh, you know that Adonijah, is, uh, he's, he's made himself king. And, and so they had to come and correct that situation, and Solomon is placed on the throne. And David dies, and Solomon has this responsibility now to lead the nation. And he is overwhelmed uh, with the enormity of giving leadership to this great nation. And so he goes to Gibeon, and there he goes to the sanctuary to worship. And God appears to Solomon. And uh, in Second uh, in Chronicles 1, we have something of what happens. That night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon thought about that and he answered God, You have shown great kindness to David my father and you have made me king in his place. Now Lord God, let your promise to my father be this. For you have made me a king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? And God said to Solomon, Since this is your heart's desire, and you've not asked for wealth, possessions, or honor, nor for death of your enemies, and since you've not asked for long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you, therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you, and I'll also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, and such as no king before you has ever had, and none will have after. If you were given one question by God, one wish, one request, ask anything you want, what would you ask for? Oh, to have lots of money. I want to look good. I want to have special talents. I want to have gifts. And Solomon, who is overwhelmed by the prospects of leading this great nation, says, God, what I need, what I'm desperate for, is I need wisdom. I don't know how. I'm just a child. I'm young. I don't know how to lead this people of God. And God said, boy, that's a good, good request. That's a wise request. And I'm going to answer that request. And I'm going to give you things that you didn't ask for. I'm going to bless your life in a signal way. Do you know that God wants to give you wisdom do you know that if you would seek for it, God will give you wisdom that will bless your life. In fact, we have an expression of that in the New Testament. In James 5, at 1, in verse 5, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding fault. God says, do you want wisdom? Come to me and I'll give you wisdom. God answers Solomon's prayer in spades, God was so pleased with that selfless request that he added all these other things to it. So how wise was Solomon? 
Uh, Solomon was granted wisdom that God said, nobody before you and nobody after you will be as wise as you will be. Uh, so we've got Solomon's wisdom. And in uh, 1 Kings uh, 4, we hear this. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the east and greater than the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than including uh, Ethan the Ezrahite, wiser, wiser than Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame spread in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life uh, from the cedars of Lebanon. Uh, to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds and reptiles and fish from all the nations. People came to listen to Solomon's wisdom sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. This guy had it all. Uh, I mean, uh, all of these, uh, all of the proverbs. He wrote 3,000 proverbs. He was an expert in botany and zoology he was a builder he had understanding of that built a temple for the lord built uh, great building projects um he he knew how to deal with foreign uh countries and dignitaries he had a time of peace unparalleled peace uh, peace and, and it, it was incredible in fact we're given one example of his wisdom in, uh, in 1 Kings 3. And there were two prostitutes. And they both had babies. And in the night, one of them had rolled over and, uh, on her baby and had smothered the baby. And the baby died. They woke up in the morning. And uh, this woman woke up and, un- and saw that her child, her baby, was dead. She took the other uh, woman's child and put the dead child with her. When it was morning and they, and they got to see that the mother whose child was switched recognized, this is not my baby. And so they had this argument. Uh, this, is, this is my baby. It's not your baby. It's my baby. And, and, and so this went to King Solomon. And he heard the case. He was going to adjudicate this. Whose baby is it? And so Solomon listened to them back and forth. And he said, I've got an answer. He said, bring me a sword. They brought him a sword. He said, I'm going to cut the baby in two, and you each get half. At which point, the real mother said, no, 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 don't harm the baby. Let her have it. He said, it's your baby. Take it. And people were amazed at um, at the, the wisdom that Solomon had. People were in awe of his wisdom. People came from all over the world. In fact, there's, there's one particular uh, ruler that came, and it was the Queen of Sheba. that would be today kind of like in Saudi Arabia, in that area. And uh, she had heard of all of Solomon's wisdom. And she, so she brought a whole caravan bringing gold and precious stones and uh, spices and all kinds of things. And uh, she spent some time with Solomon. Uh, She came loaded for bear. And she talked about all the things that were on her mind. And everything she talked about, he gave her answers. And she she was awed by it. And when she saw his court, when she saw his 
home and the temple, when she saw uh, his administration and the food that they had and the clothes that they were wearing, she was totally blown away. She says, this is beyond my wildest imagination. I could never guess that there would be something like this. She saw God's blessing and favor on his people. She saw justice and righteousness, and she was absolutely astounded. You know, can I tell you something? That God's plan and purpose for his people in the Old Testament was for this to happen. That he, for the, the God's people to live such a, a, a life of blessed by God, by God's wisdom, by following God's ways, to see justice, to see how a, a, a society can operate in a beautiful way. God wanted to put Israel on display so that all the nations of the world would come to her and recognize that it was her God. And, and, and in fact, that's what the, the Queen of Sheba said. I, I recognize your God and how wise this God is and how he has blessed you far beyond what could be imagined. Um, do you know that God wants to put the church on display in the world? He wants the church to show the glory and the beauty of what it is to follow Christ. He wants that to, to be seen in how we relate to one another, how we care for one another, uh, how we reach out and how we make a difference in our world. God's, you know, uh, God wanted us to be put on display as his people. Jesus said this, by this will all people know that you're my disciples because of the love you have one for another. And he wants people to come in here and understand something about who he is from that. So here's Solomon. He has it all. There's no one outside of Jesus Christ that came anywhere close to, to the uh, rival uh, Solomon with respect to the wisdom and the knowledge that he had. And all that he'd done politically and in business dealings and, and as a world player on the stage and his ability uh, to work in the arts and uh, music, and literature, and he was signally blessed of God. He was gifted and endowed with God more than anybody could dream about. And yet, here's the thing. Later in his life, he lived foolishly. Can you believe that? Uh, This great man that people came from around the world to hear him, and to see what he's done, and to learn from him, he would live foolishly imagine the wisest man in history actually becoming a great fool and i want to for a moment just look at the the wisdom the foolishness of solomon solomon's foolishness though he knew so much there began to be a gap in his life a gap between the knowledge that he had and what he practiced in his life Solomon actually succumbed to temptation in four different areas. Four areas that, uh, as Colin had read uh, read for us earlier, four areas which God said, now when you get a king, here's what your king needs to be like, and here's what he needs to do, and here's what I don't want him to do, and here's what I do want him to do. That wisdom was given through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 17. And so uh, there are four areas in which Solomon succumbed to temptation. Four areas that we may succumb to temptation if we're not careful as well. The first one is ambition and power. Ambition and power. 
In, um, in, this, uh, in Deuteronomy, we read um, from Deuteronomy 17 and verse 16. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you're not to go back that way again. Here he is, and, and what the king was not to do was to get a lot of horses. So, what was a horse? There's only one usage of horse. The horse is not used as an instrument of war. When you think about the other kinds of things that animals were used, um, there were camels, there were donkeys, uh, there were oxen and cattle, and they were all used to do different things. Um, But when we read about the horse, over and over again, the horse is something almost exclusively in the Bible that it talks about war. Horses pull chariots. Don't go back for horses. Don't go back to Egypt for horses. Don't go back for chariots. Um, In in 1 Kings chapter 10, we read this. Solomon accumulated, accumulated chariots and horses He had 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horses, which he kept in chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. When we were on our Israel trip, uh, we saw some of those chariot cities where his horses were kept. And you see some of the remnants of that still. So this is something that is going to be a source of security and power for you. You need to build up horses and chariots so that when you have the, the, the right kind of ground... You can fight, and you can uh, have power, and you can win the, the, uh, the wars. And God said to the king, I don't want you doing that. I want you to trust me. I don't want you to trust those other things. Listen to what Deuteronomy 20 and verse 1 says. When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and armies bigger than yours, don't be afraid of them. Because the Lord your God brought you up out of Egypt, and he will be with you. Remember that the vast armies of Egypt, with all of their artillery, artillery, and you were sitting ducks. You had, you had uh, little children and babies and all your belongings. You had your livestock. And here comes uh, the superpower uh, of that time. Egypt is pursuing you with chariots and horses. And what did you do? You were helpless. You didn't have the artillery or the armament. You, you just relied on God. And when you see this coming from others, don't think you need to, don't think you need to have horses and chariots. And what did, what did Solomon do? He began to amass horses and chariots. He was hungry and thirsty for power. He wasn't going to trust in the Lord uh, with all his heart, and lean not on his own understanding. He was going to do his own thing. And the, the psalmist would say, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God in vain. And something happened in his life that he began to trust other things other than God. Well, the second thing, the, the second area was the area of sex. Always a biggie. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, in verse 17, it says that the king must not take many wives. What kings would do in those days, they would have a harem. They'd have a harem of all kinds of beautiful women from everywhere. 
If they saw somebody beautiful, they would want to bring them into the harem. They would want to put them on display. Um, When Pastor Daniel uh, spoke out of Esther, Esther was one chosen for her beauty to be in the king's harem. God, God said, don't, don't collect women. In essence of what he said to the, the king. Don't collect women. Don't show off your large harem. Uh, don't put them on display for your, uh, for your image. The, the preoccupation with sex is getting more and more beautiful women and have them. And, and they were told not to do that. And, and here's one of the reasons why they did it. He, he married a daughter of Pharaoh in Egypt. Why? Because what you want are, are political alliances too. So what you do is you marry Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh's not going to fight you. Your daughter is in the king's castle. So you, he begins to uh, have all of these royal wives that he brings into his harem. So that he has some kind of security. He's not looking to God for security. He's doing it through these alliances with other nations. And the problem was, um, these are people that he wasn't supposed to marry. That the law told them, you don't marry these foreigners. Uh, so in, um, in 1 Kings 11, verses 1 to 3, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughters. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn, next, uh, your your heart against God. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines, and his wives led him astray. Don't trust in those alliances. Don't, don't, don't be somebody who's so preoccupied with sex that you can get, never get enough people and all of the rest of that. So he took these women from forbidden nations and made them his own. Uh, these political alliances. Well, well, the next problem he had was that of idolatry. He sinned in the area of idolatry. In... Uh, Deuteronomy 17 and 17, it said this, he must not take many uh, wives, listen, or his heart will be led astray. How would he be led astray? Because you're bringing all of these women uh, into your court, into your harem, and they have different religious backgrounds than you do. They don't, they don't worship uh, the Lord our God. And uh, he would inevitably want to keep them happy. So here's what we read happens in 1 Kings 11. As Solomon grew older, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. He had followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but he did not follow uh, the Lord completely as David, his father, had done. These women were a source of problem because they said, look, at, we want to worship our own gods. So he started building them shrines and places of worship to their gods. And he got carried away with that himself. Uh, the, the, worst, the worst sin you could, could uh, engage in was idolatry. The, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Instead, and now he's proliferating idolatry in the nation. It was terrible. Uh, here, here were these, 
these idols in places of worship everywhere. And God abhors that. And so he was led by the influence of these women against the word of God. He was warning, uh, he was warned about choosing marriage partners that don't walk in, in lockstep with him in faith. Just as folks... If you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you want to be married and you're looking for somebody, you need to find somebody who walks in faith with you. The the principle has never changed. God wants you to be with someone who believes and holds the same kind of values. And and so Solomon falls into this terrible sin and uh, and now he's an, an awful model for the people of what they should be. Well, the last temptation is that of wealth. In Deuteronomy 17, 17, the end of it, it says this. Uh, he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. You say, but wait a minute. Didn't God say because you didn't ask for this stuff, I'm going to give you all that too? Yes, he did. Um, but but here's, here's the thing. They weren't to accumulate large amounts of gold and silver for himself. For himself. And you'll hear that expression. Don't take women for yourself. Don't take uh, these, this wealth for yourself. Because how you normally have to do that. Is tax the, tax the people heavily. To get more and more. You need to be somebody who's concerned. About caring for the people you lead. If you have the privilege of leadership. Your role and responsibility. Is to do the best for them. Not to get fat. Um, on, on, their, on their account. And so in 1 Kings 10.23, we read this. Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. He had it all. Now, he had power, sex, idolatry, wealth. Um, and all of these became formidable temptations that led his heart away from God. In, in 1 Kings uh, 11, 9, and 10, it says this, the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away. Um, I'm going to do this for you the old-fashioned way. You didn't think I could find it myself, did you? says this. King Solomon excelled above all the... the, uh, uh, I was going to give you 11, 9, and 10. I'm sorry. Uh, The Lord was angry with Solomon because of his heart. His heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep what the Lord commanded. God was angry with him. He'd given him everything, everything, and it turned his heart away from him. Here's Solomon's, do we have that? Here's, here's Solomon's uh, legacy in the next few verses. In verse uh, 12, uh, excuse me, 11. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice and you've not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you 
and will give it to your servant. Yet for the sake of David your father, I will not do it in your days, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of David my servant and for the sake of Jerusalem that I've chosen. He did something. God said, I've had it. You've had every privilege and you have abused all of those. You've turned your heart for me and now I'm going to, I'm going to judge you. And here's what's going to happen. Here's his legacy. Here's this man who had everything and here's his legacy. God is going to tear the kingdom out of the hands of Judah. Divide the kingdom. And for the next several hundred years, there's going to be war, civil war, fighting, problems, and the nation is going to be torn apart. That's his legacy of all the great things he did. That's what he left. And on top of that, when you go on in that chapter, God raised up enemies against him. Now, if you're like me, you read this and go, how could this guy do this? With everything that he had, with every privilege that he had, how could he dare do this? Until sometimes we look into our own lives and see how prone to failure we are. Solomon had it all, and he blew it. He started so well, and he finished so poorly. Now, we, we like to sometimes blame the young people. Oh, the young people aren't doing it. This is an old guy. So let me speak to those of us who are a little older as well. Don't think, man, I'm, I, I've gone through those, those early tough years, and I'm kind of cruising now because I'm, I'm on a few years. No, it was when Solomon was on a few years that he was losing it. You need to protect yourself. Solomon had it all, but he blew it. He started well, gifted by God, and he left the nation in, uh, in, uh, in ruins. So that when his stupid son, his foolish son, Rehoboam, seeks counsel, uh, he divides the nation. I'm not going to do it in your time for the sake of your father David, but it's going to be torn away. And, and the mess that Israel was in after that was a result of that. See, here's, here it is. This Finishing well requires not just knowing the word of God, but practicing it. It's not just what you know. It's what you do with what you know. The young people you heard this morning are going to be studying the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus most uh, famous sermon. And Jesus gives wisdom to his people. He tells them what the kingdom is really like and what the kingdom values are and how they should live their life. But he concludes it. He concludes it with this. He finishes his sermon, Jesus does, saying, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. He said, wise people are people who hear the word and they receive it and they obey it and they live it out. 
See, Solomon had all of that. He knew it all. He had it all. He knew it all. The problem was he wasn't living it out. He goes on to say, And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. See, you, you may start well in what you're doing. God is interested in how you finish, not just how you start. You can have a good start, but he wants you to finish well. And if you're going to finish well, you need to take the wisdom of God's word and not just know it, but do it. That's why we do life groups. That's why we focus in life groups. Some, some of you have, you know, I've heard a little, well, why can't we just do this? Why do we have to re-go over what the sermon says? Because we're not interested in just getting knowledge up here. We're interested in what it means to live it out. That's what wise people do. And so in our life groups, we try and focus on what does this mean in my life and how do I live it out in my life? And uh, here is the, the greatest wise man becomes a tragic fool and his legacy is a kingdom that is torn apart and in trouble. My friends, if you want to be wise... You'll not just start well, but you're going to be persistent in wisdom. Not just hearing it, but living it out in your life. And God will bless that incredibly. And whether you're older or you're younger, God calls us uh, to live that out. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for the truth of Scripture. Lord, here's an example of a guy who had all the wisdom, and yet it backfired on him because he didn't live it out. Lord, all of us are susceptible uh, to issues of temptation where we're not living your word out anymore. And I pray that you would help us to understand that we would hear your word, that we would receive wisdom from you, but we would live it out because it's no good if we don't live it out. And so, Father, I pray that you would give us hearts that are open Um, hearts that are submissive, that we would surrender all to you and live the way you want us to live and experience the blessing that comes from that. In Jesus' name, amen.